relax, you got nothing to lose What do you think I'm about to show you? The female of the species is more deadly than a male Show me a movie, you can say it again Just wait till you see what I did at the end The female of the species is more deadly than a male Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Deadly, the Director's Cut, where we speak with the women-identified directors who are making the horror movies we love oh so much. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast celebrating the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. Joining me today to do this very important work is the one and only... Ariel. Hello. Hey. Oh, by the way, and I'm Rachel, your co-host. <laughs> hey, girl. How have Hi. you been? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm What's doing great. What's going on? <laughs> Honestly, nothing too interesting. Yeah, just excited about today. Yeah, we have a we have a very fun episode for you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Like. I know we're all about that spooky season. We're all about October and fall and pumpkins and all of that stuff. Granted, but it's a new holiday season. And just because it's not Halloween doesn't mean that it's not time to get spooky with it. We right. have a super fun new ho- Christmas holiday horror film to talk about today. I'm so excited because I love Christmas horror. And mm-hmm. between this and It's a Wonderful Knife, I feel like we've gotten a lot of them this year. And I'm very excited about that. I'm actually watching that tonight. Oh, fun. <laughs> Maybe I should. I'm going to guest on Dads from the Crypt tomorrow. Oh, awesome. And we're talking about that tomorrow night. So I'm excited to watch it tonight. Yeah, that'll be fun. <sighs> it, I'm hoping it's going to be fun. I've been on a little bit of it. Like, it's the end of the year crunch. We're getting ready for our, our you know, top 10 of the year. Oh, my God, girl. I'm so day. far behind. <laughs> I mean, we all are, but like (laughs) what it means is I'm watching two movies a night and like Uh when you get two bleak ones in a row, that shit, it gets dark. So I'm hoping this is a nice, light, fluffy one. I need to watch that and I need to watch When Evil Works and I know for a fact that shit is bleak. Yeah, use (laughs) It's a Wonderful Knife as a palate cleanser. (laughs) Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. So everybody check out Dads from the Crypt, love those guys, and I will be on there talking spooky uh, holiday horror there, which brings us back to what we're doing tonight, which is, of course, we are going to be speaking with the incredible Jen Wexler, director of The Sacrifice Game, which is the new Christmas horror film on Shudder. Shall we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So, Ariel, in case people are here for the very first time, they don't know how this works... Fill them in. How do we handle (laughs) spoilers on this here pod? Okay, yeah. So on More Deadly Director's Cut, we try to keep things very spoiler free. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the director, and then Rachel and I will give you a non-spoiler review, and then we're going to dive right into the interview. In the interview, there are spoilers, but we do tell you when they're going to come up. So you can always duck out then, or you can just go watch the movie on Shudder and then come back. Yeah, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Stick or but at least stick around for the review yeah. because, you know, you in case you just need that little extra push to go check it out. So, on that note, why don't you tell me a little bit about Jen and a little bit about the making of this movie? 
Okay. So Jen Wexler is a writer, director, and producer who grew up in suburban New Jersey, feeling like a bit of an outcast. Mm. The town she lived in was apparently so boring when she was a teenager that she started seeking out new adventures. And that is how she stumbled upon horror movies and punk music. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So she discovered the punk scene in her teens and was instantly hooked because it was sort of a place where she could be an individual and she was embraced for her creativity. And she also really loved that she could like throw her body around and get that feeling of freedom. Mm -hmm. And then this was also the point where she discovered horror movies, which ended up kind of being an escape for her Mm -hmm. and a place where she could find catharsis. And so both of these things really helped her get through those teen years. I mean, she was destined to be cool. She never had a shot at anything else. <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> Doomed to coolness. <laughs> so uh, Jen has been working as a producer since 2009, both on her own films and movies like the ABCs of Death 2, Darling, and Larry Fassenden's uh, Frankenstein movie that's called Depraved. Ooh. I love Larry Fessenden. He is yeah. always a he is always another filmmaker who is always doing really interesting outside right. the box things. So this feels correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in 2012, she directed her first short film called Slumber Party, which is about two girls playing Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. And then In 2013, she created her second short. That one's called Halloween Bash, and it's about a mean girl bent on playing tricks who receives a mysterious Halloween treat. Mm. So they both sound really cute, and it means she's been doing horror like from the start, which is pretty cool. A woman of taste and sophistication. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So now speaking of Larry Fassenden, apparently he was super supportive of her early career. So at one point, she was working in marketing at FearNet when she discovered Glass Eye Picks, which is his production company. Mm-hmm. And she started watching a bunch of the movies he produced and got really into them. So when she moved to New York, she was able to meet him for the first time and start working with him. Cool. After that, she produced a few features for him. And then she told him, I want to direct. And she gave him the script for The Ranger, which would eventually become her very first feature film. Aha, that's so cool. Amazing. I love that, you know, it makes me like him even more that he's like nurturing her work and celebrating her work and giving, you know what I mean? Like we always talk about these people who have have the purse strings, have Mm -hmm. are the gatekeepers. And whenever you hear about someone who's like an established person in, in, you know, in the horror genre doing something like this, it just makes me like them more. I know. Me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and he really went out of his way with this one. So the project was selected to go to Frontiers, which is, I guess, a co-production market at the Fantasia Film Festival. Uh And while there, Fassenden and she pitched the movie to industry finance people and ended up getting the backing of Hood River Entertainment. And so that meant that in 2018, she was able to release The Ranger, which she both directed and co-wrote, and it ended up getting picked up by Shudder. I remember. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who haven't seen it, The Ranger is about teen punks on the run from cops and hiding who are hiding out in the woods. They come upon a local authority, an unhinged park ranger with an axe to grind. In an interview with Geeks of Doom, she described this movie as a mix of glitter and gore. It's a slasher movie with the color palette of Lisa Frank. It's punks versus park ranger. I feel like it's a great 
line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's like, that's amazing. all I need to hear to press right? play. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's so cool. So after The Ranger, she kept working as a producer and directed an episode of that show, Pandora, uh, before directing and co-writing her new feature film that we'll be talking about today, The Sacrifice Game, which is a Shutter original that had its world premiere at Fantasia International Film Festival. And I'm not going to get into all of the details behind like making the movie because we dive into almost all of that stuff in our interview and there's lots of really good information. Yeah. But as for what she's up to next, she's in post-production on a sci-fi thriller that follows a woman named Rachel. Oh my God. Inspired! <laughs> Inspired! <laughs> so it's about a woman named Rachel who doesn't recall the recent birth of her baby or even being pregnant. What? And her husband deflects her probing questions as strange neighbors begin stalking her. So oh, that sounds hell pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Opening day. Opening yes, day. Exactly. I will be putting that into mine eyes. That is <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about how we felt about this film. Again, we're not going to get into major spoilers, and that's true as well of the synopsis that I'm going to give you right now. Just to have an idea, if you haven't watched this and you're like, wait, what is this about? The sacrifice game? Tell me more. Well, I'm going to. So <laughs> Uh, the film is set in the 1970s, and it focuses on Samantha and Clara, who are two girls who are the last two left at their boarding school during the Christmas break. Left in charge of them is, like, this young, idealistic teacher named Rose and her boyfriend, Jimmy. You could see how this movie could be a very different film. Like, it could be this quiet little Christmas story about two young outcasts making friends. You know, kind of like a little holiday miracle type of vibe. Except, of course, this is a horror film. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so instead, it's going to be a little bit more like holiday hell than um, Christmas miracle. Because unbeknownst to them, there is uh, also another group of people who are headed their way. It's a young uh, a group of young people who appear to be somehow mixed up with some sort of like Manson-like cult. Um, they're being called the Christmas killers who have been breaking into homes and churches and stabbing and carving up their victims. And they are headed straight for the school. I can't imagine what would possibly go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say because yeah, that's a good setup. <laughs> so much of this movie is about the discovery that, yeah. and the surprises and things that come your way. Yeah, there's the some film. good twists in this one. So. Yes, yes, yes. So that is the setup. Now, Ariel, tell me in a non-spoilery way, what did you think of the sacrifice game? Yeah. So like I was saying at the top of the show, I really enjoy holiday horror movies. And so this was really fun for me. I even just like having the backdrop of like winter and Christmas mm -hmm. trees and like presents and the decorations. I find all of that stuff really fun. But I also really loved the setting it in a boarding school thing. That's mm -hmm. always fun for me. And the 70s aesthetic was really yeah. great. So the opening scene of this movie is a very Manson style, like you were saying, mm -hmm. kind of killing spree. and skelter vibes. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, my gosh. So I was hooked immediately. I thought that was mm -hmm. great. It's so much fun. I love a good possession movie. And this one is interesting because it goes in a different direction than I had originally expected and then what you normally see in this type of film. And so that was really cool. But I honestly think the thing that won me over the most is like 
one, how female-driven the story is. We've got our mm-hmm. main characters, the two girls, plus the true kind of leader of the cult as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. all of that's really interesting. And then it's also, like, weirdly a celebration of female friendship and solidarity. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> kind of beautiful amongst, like, you know, cult stuff and murders and such. So... I don't know. I really liked it. I think, you know, there are some things I could quibble about. Like, I would have loved even more Manson family stuff, and it could have maybe been a little more tense, but I really enjoyed this overall. Yeah. I found this movie to be very cozy, if yeah. that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. And like you, I love the setting, the choice to ma- set it in the 70s, because obviously the aesthetics, the styling, but also the cultural references yeah. and sort of the relative innocence of the people in the film, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like we're all so cynical and broken now. <laughs> but at that time, there was some there was some innocence. There was there was much less fear of like stranger danger. And those things were much more shocking. And so getting to see the character sort of inhabiting that world and though that sort of ideal I think added to this quite a bit and it makes it kind of a throwback to like the original slasher right yeah. you know Black Christmas you get all that kind of feeling from it it also means that our our characters have a lot less resources they're much more isolated and that is always an interesting dynamic in films where we you know in this modern era where you have to like have some reason why they're not just picking up their cell phones or blah blah right. like it does that's that kind of thing isn't a problem when you set it in the past, you know, like, or why you can't, you know, like they're, they have much less access to getting help and getting safety. And that to me adds a lot of tension. Yeah. Cause you're right. They don't have the cell phones. And also they're in this isolated boarding yeah. school where the only way out is this one car that can drive you all the way to the train station. Yeah. 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 I also think that this movie has pretty great characters in it. I like both of the lead girls a Mm -hmm. lot. Uh, I really enjoyed their dynamic, and I thought both the actresses, Madison Baines and Georgia Atkin, gave really compelling performances doing the various things that they need to do. Georgia, in particular, is a scene stealer, let's say. Yeah, I agree. And I really also found the sort of Manson group to be much more interesting and much more um, layered than I expected them to be. Like, there is an arc to each of those characters and there are internal dynamics to that group that are like so much beyond just like mustache twirling or like <laughs> right crazy we're crazy manson people no there's a lot more there there that i think adds to this so you have two groups of people and who both of which have a lot of dynamic uh ca- levels to their character and and story arcs and internal tensions and all of those kinds of things the art direction with like you, you know all of the occult stuff is really interesting i love all the scarring and the symbols and all of those things which we find out more about the origins of those in our interview yeah. with jen so that's stay tuned for that that's really interesting and then of course like you possession movies i find them mostly pretty to be pretty rote because the problem is the exorcist exists <laughs> You know, like it's hard to compete with. (laughs) It is hard to compete with. And uh, like most possession films, the ones that are the best are the ones that somehow go in a new different new way and subvert those ideas or avoid them entirely. And I think that this movie does a really good job of not being beholden to that the blueprint of that film. In fact, when it references that film, it's mostly a subversion of those ideas, which again, Mm -hmm. is something that Jen's going to talk about, like, the sort of dynamic of the like uh, wise priest and the you know ev- all the women in the film being 
less powerful, let's just say. In this film, much more complicated. And I think that makes this feel fresher. That makes it feel exciting. And finally, this thing has a banger of an ending. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't really go into it. It, <laughs> it was one of those, like, you know, fists pumping in the air. Like, yes, that was yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agree. Hard agree. And so <laughs> that makes this really easy to recommend, especially because it's like it's such a perfect holiday watch. So yeah. check it out. It's on Shutter. Go see it. All right. I recommend you recommend. What do you say we get into our interview with Jen? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Here we go. We love your work. And Sacrifice Game is yet another, I mean, excellent, fun, perfect way to kick off the holiday season. So congratulations on that. I understand that you started writing this 13 years ago. Is that A, true? And if so, how does it feel to have it finally be seen? Like you did this before The Ranger. Yeah. Um, 10 years ago, it was 2013 that I wrote the first draft, Uh, but still a long time, a decade and yeah, I mean, uh, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker um, and I love horror. I've loved horror since I was a kid. And um, when I started working for a production company called Glass Eye Picks, um, I was very inspired by the mm-hmm. filmmakers that work there, Larry mm-hmm. Fessenden and, and all the filmmakers that he's uh, brought up through his company. And I was just thinking like, well, you know, uh, if I ever get the opportunity to to write and direct a movie, what would I want to do? And so I wrote this just on my own. Like, I didn't even tell them about it. I had my day job working there, doing marketing and social media for them. And then um, at night, I would be working on this. And then as I started producing for them, I realized like, okay, I am not ready to make this yet. I need to just learn. Like, I just have to go through the process of making movies for mm-hmm. a while. Um and then uh, I decided to, when I felt ready to direct, I decided to um, uh, make The Ranger first because I was like, you know, it's a couple of punk kids in the woods. How hard can that be? <laughs> and then I saved this one. But the dream was always that I would come back to it. So it was really special once The Ranger was out to get to dive back into the script. Oh, that's amazing. I, I mean, there's this imaginary, like, you know, alternate universe where you made this one first and like kind of trying to imagine what how different the movie would be had you done it when you first rolled it out versus how it ended up now. Like sometimes waiting is hard, but maybe that was the best because it's like, so polished and, and so accomplished. And maybe it wouldn't have reflected that level of experience yet so that's that's really cool Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I think it's, um, when you're making an indie film it's always a question when when you're coming up through independent film it's always a question of like are we going to hold out and try to get the budget that we really dream of for this project or are we just going to go for it and make the movie now with what mm-hmm. we have and i've been on both sides of that i've certainly made uh, as a producer as well, like many um, very small budget movies where we were just like, well, look, we don't have the dream budget, but we have all these other resources. Let's just right. do it. And, um, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. It's always just a matter of like what makes sense yeah, for the absolutely. moment. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I also think that there, it may have been smart to do the Ranger first just because it is, it does have that punk aesthetic. So like, having it be a little less polished or not having as much money for it probably benefited the way that the movie looked and, you know, felt. Oh, totally. That was definitely on my yeah. mind too. I was like, I'm, you know, it's my first feature. Right. I, I've, 
produced other features. I've seen other directors at work, but this is my first time doing this. And I, I did want to have that leeway. Um, and of course, you know, embracing some of my, like I was influenced by movies like Evil Dead, where it's like, you can be more um, handmade about mm-hmm. it. You mm-hmm. know, you can like, you can, you, I, I like movies where you can like really feel the filmmakers yeah. and, and feel like that they had their hands all mm-hmm. over it. And for the ranger, it was really fun to just get to like play in that chaotic yeah. world. Yeah, That's really cool. Well, with the sacrifice game, we really loved Samantha and Clara. They're both really great characters. We love seeing movies that are focused on those kind of younger teenage years. It's so great. And here, both of them are outcasts who really don't fit in, especially with the kind of popular girl cliques. And that sort of social isolation is what kind of bonds them together. Was that something that you related to? Something that you experienced growing up? Yes. When I was uh, 13 years old, my um, parents moved towns. So I went to a whole new school, had to meet all Mm. new people. And I had known everybody else. Like I had grown up in this town. So having that experience... I, I don't know. It was at a time also when you're 13, like your body is changing and like your, your interests are changing and you like don't know who you are. So it was kind of rough. Um, and I was really lonely for um, like middle school mm-hmm. and high school. And that's also when I became obsessed with horror movies and horror movies kind of became my friend yeah. at that time. I would just spend all my time watching horror. So um so when I was writing Sacrifice Game, I was definitely tapping into those lonely teen girl emotions. Okay, so that's that's actually really interesting because I wonder how much of this, it's strange to think of a possession film as being this, w- was there an element of wish fulfillment for that girl at that age? Because one of the central themes of this film is female friendship and solidarity and the whole like refrain of like these girls stick together. It is their motto. And, you know, without spoiling where things go, like friendship is a really important element. Do you think some of that was wish fulfillment and why was that a theme that you felt like was really important to include here? Definitely. Um, I've also had really great best friend friendships throughout my life. Um, and I, I wanted to capture with this movie, a, the feelings of feeling lonely when you have nobody to turn to, when you're a teenager, your, your parents like don't understand mm-hmm. you. you you don't feel like you can turn to your family. Um, you're trying to like find that someone. And then I also wanted to um, explore the feelings of like when you first find that someone, it's almost like falling in love with them. When you first find that best friend, it's like, it's the same love feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's like a romance. And, um, and I, uh, those moments in my own life have been so special So I wanted to fuse the storyline with that as well. Oh, I love oh. that. I love that. Yeah, and I totally really agree. Wonderful. I'm obsessed with my yeah. friends, you know, <laughs> so I totally get that. <laughs> I also very much relate to horror movies being part of what got you through like the horrors of high school. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be shocked yeah. we were nerds. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> I, I mean, I would watch movies with, you know, slasher movies with final girls and I would be like, if she can, you know, survive this, all her friends are dead, um, and then she can take down the killer, like, I can have the courage to go back to school tomorrow. Like, yes. Oh, so my God. Very That's amazing. I love yeah. that. I love that. Absolutely. 
You know, one of the things I loved about your film, too, is the styling of it, the 70s aesthetic and those kind of Manson family vibes. They're so great. I especially love the opening scene. It's so Manson family. What made you pick that era and what made you want to make the killers this Manson-esque family? So I read Helter Skelter when I was a teenager, uh. too, because has always like stayed with me uh it, was, it definitely left an imprint on my mind reading it as a teenager um and and when uh when i was putting together like what i wanted to do with this um and especially when my my co-writer came on board when we dove back into it in 2018 back into the script um we were thinking about these movies that were influences to us so like last house on the left and Black Christmas. So we were thinking about all of these and uh, it just started to feel right to set it in the early 70s. Mm -hmm. um, aesthetically, it was exciting to me because I wanted to explore, you know, those costumes and I wanted oh, to have yeah. those props and dressing and everything. Um, I wanted to set it on Christmas because from an aesthetic mm. perspective, like Christmas lights, you know, uh, lighting your whole scene with Christmas lights is just fun. Um, <laughs> And it's also, fun. it's also fun to take Christmas and yes. like turn it and make it like dark since we have all these like happy, mem happy feelings and memories around Christmas. And then I wanted to, I'm, I'm very, uh, I was a very big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan oh, uh -huh. when I was a kid. <laughs> Same. Same. So, uh, I, wanted to take, I wanted to take all of that and then like use this Buffy tone oh, yeah I love it oh I really see that now that's interesting that wouldn't have occurred to me but I totally see that influence yeah that's really cool absolutely absolutely I mean I love that this movie operates on a few different levels like I think it is a fun sort of popcorn Christmas horror film but I do think that you're actually making some interesting commentary here whether it's intentional or just in showing us the world through your perspective a little bit like um I really keyed in on the way that power dynamics shifting is a major theme throughout this you know I think you're set up to see um Jude as like this Manson like character but as we go along we see that the people who are actually powerful in every scenario are not necessarily who you thought in the beginning and so I'm curious and they tend to be women. I'm <laughs> just saying. Um, uh, I'm curious why you wanted to include that theme, and if that was like an idea that you were you were really interested in exploring. Definitely. Um, I think that that's just so. I, I just very much see the world in this way where uh, we have all these people who go around acting like they know what's going on. In, in a bigger sense, in a, in a spiritual sense. Um, and then they use that um, against other people, against um, minorities, against, um, uh, to keep people yeah. down. You know, they'll, they'll say, oh, you're not following things the way I believe the universe runs and therefore uh, you're not worthy of your humanity. And I just think that's so, it's, it's just, always been so absurd to me that that's so pre prevalent and has always been so yeah. prevalent in in humanity and society and uh you know i don't think anybody actually knows how the universe works at all so i wanted to take these characters these you know these bad guys who um think that they know what's going on 
and um, actually they have no idea and actually they're being used for a greater yeah. means and you know I love um, underdog characters and characters that you might at first underestimate and I love seeing how those kinds of characters rise and surprise yeah. you. I love that whole yeah. sequence with Jude where he's like, is it me? It's me. It's definitely <laughs> me. And everyone's just like, and as a viewer, you like kind of know a little more information and you're just like, oh, buddy. <laughs> the narcissism is showing. My friend. You are possessed oh, with yeah. narcissism. <laughs> and it's so cool working with Mina yeah. Masood, who plays Jude, um, who also is uh, a literal in the live Disney action. prince. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like he was so down to go on that journey and like be really evil and dive into that narcissism and it was like I I'm I have so much gratitude and I feel like so honored that he was down to give that kind of performance to this film. yeah 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 oh, he's, great. he's great in it he's really great <laughs> and you know I really love that you kind of have these two bookend dinner scenes too and each one of them the power dynamic is completely different. Like where it starts in that first dinner scene is completely different than where it ends in the second one. It's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. We also Thanks. really loved that you set your film at a boarding school. Rachel and I have talked about this a bunch of times that we both <laughs> kind of romanticized the idea of going to boarding school totally. when we were kids. Totally. So we love whenever a movie is set in one. Did you pick that for a specific reason? Like, did you want something that was locked in or isolated or was there another reason? Well, yes, to those reasons. But I, too, because I went to New Jersey Public uh-huh. High School, I, too, romanticized the boarding school <laughs> setting. If only I went to boarding school, my life would be full of, like, adventure and mystery, obviously. Narnia in every wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, like, something I genuinely believed as a teenager. And then, you know, as an adult, it was fun to get to be in that setting because I didn't get to be in that setting when I was younger. It was really fun for us too. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. Will you allow me to get up my own academic butt for a second right now? (laughs) So as I was watching this, I found myself kind of thinking about, you know, we don't, we get little hints about our, the origin story of our demon. And I found myself thinking a lot about like the myths of Lilith and the myths of Medusa. And I'm curious, were those inspirations for you? Or was there another inspiration for you that led to sort of the, your internal backstory for this character? I had done a lot of research on the demons that were in like the lesser key of Solomon. And I wanted to take some of the traits that you find when you read about those demons, like, um, you know, they can shroud themselves in invisibility, or they're like a trickster demon. Like, there's there's so many. I think there's 72. There's so many. And they each one is has, like, a personality. And each one, like, if you summon that demon, you know, this is what you can expect from that demon. Yeah. There's, like, a list. This is his, their personality traits. This is, like their their powers so in thinking about our demon um i i didn't want to just take one of those demons because honestly i'm a little superstitious and i didn't <laughs> accident but i uh i wanted to fashion our demon in in the style of that so i created a lookbook actually for our crew for our like special effects team that was doing some of our prosthetics and our designs 
And I, I described like, this is the demon and this is their power and this is the history of the demon. And, um, and it was really fun just kind of like inventing our own version of that. And then also uh, the demon's sigil. I took a sigil making class at a bookstore oh. in Brooklyn called Catman Books. <laughs> and I, I designed my own sigil. That's the most Brooklyn so thing cool. I've ever heard. <laughs> I love that. Okay, we need like a vinegar syndrome release of this. I want physical. I want that to be in the liner notes. I want to see all of that. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I pointed to my neck when I said that because also as a gift at the end, the producers got myself and the actors little sigil necklaces. So I'm not wearing it right now, but it is a very my favorite piece of jewelry. Oh, that's oh, that is so that's cool. Incredible. That's so, so cool. <laughs> what great details. I also just love that you invented the the character there, the demon. I mean, that's so much more interesting than just picking something out of the book, so much more creative. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love a good demon possession movie. It's usually a young girl who's being possessed, and it usually is trying to explore, you know, themes of girlhood, puberty, the way that the world really kind of shifts its viewpoint of you as you start progressing into womanhood. Were these themes that you wanted to explore in your movie too? Yes. Um, but also I was thinking about those kinds, I was thinking about demonic possession movies. Um, and there, you know, there's the trope of the the young girl in a nightgown with her body contorting in a crazy way. Mm -hmm. And usually there's an older man nearby who's obviously done in the exorcist, but also copied in so many movies since then. And, um, and I, you know, this is now a spoiler. So, okay. Spoiler. Pause listening. It's on shutter. Go see it. (laughs) It's on shutter. Pause and go watch it and then come back for the spoiler. But I was thinking about this kind of trope and then my co-writer, Sean, and I were like, well, what if our girl is the demon? Like, fuck yeah. that trope. She yeah. is the demon. And that was really exciting for us because it also gave us, gave the character, like, an objective. Mm-hmm. Now she she's the demon and she wants something, you know? she It makes her active, um, which is just a much more interesting character yes. than having like a passive Absolutely. character. So once we discovered that, it kind of like unlocked the script for us. And then um, it was really fun structurally just to, you know, look at how on, maybe you don't notice it on the first mm-hmm. watch, but on a future watch, how you can see in the background that she is um, actively like in charge of the tables and trying to turn the tables to suit herself. Yeah. Uh, It's so cool. And I love that you get kind of two twists in this movie. Like you get the twist of finding out that she really is the demon, but you also get a twist with Samantha and like the sort of action she takes at the end of the film. It's very cool. Yeah. 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 And it was fun too, to, um, uh, to look at uh, with uh, my co-writer because You know, there were a couple of ways we could have gone with it, but ultimately friendship prevails. And and ultimately Mm -hmm. the only thing that makes sense is that Samantha and Clara 
team up together at the yeah. end. Yeah, I love that. I was thinking a little bit about um, Let the Right One In and like what the idea that that explores about like what is a monster or what is monstrous and like that monsters also need companionship. And it like it really humanizes that character at the end. Uh, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about, about that decision to be like she – it's not just Samantha who makes that choice, but it's also Clara who asks her. And you'd think this like being yeah. wouldn't need it, but – there's more complication to this character because she does actually want a companionship. Yeah. I, I think that we had written in the script that like, she's a demon, like in that scene when she's in the air yeah. and they're having this moment, she's a demon, but at some point along the way, she also became a teenage girl. And so, yes, she's a demon, but she has, she's now feeling these teenage girl feelings and needs and wants. And she too wants connection she hasn't allowed herself ever to want this connection to to acknowledge her wanting it which of course is so fun to play with the character of the weird girl in the corner who acts like they don't need friends yeah, it right. was fun finding that those metaphors and playing around with mm -hmm. that but like this i just love i i love really human small emotional yeah. moments but like in this crazy epic scenario so i'm like it's like they're having a heart to heart but one of them is flying in the air like that's how i would talk about it <laughs> <laughs> flying in the air and there's pieces of there's like rumbling of the building around them yeah. but you know the hope is is of course that you've been following their relationship the mm -hmm. whole movie and they're growing friends and that just feels heartwarming yes. and that it makes sense and that you're just like i want it <laughs> i want it to be a heartwarming harm. Yeah, ultimately, it's perfect it is, for it's the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's kind of like I mean, when in my professional life, when I'm writing for Pride, like we're talking about found family a lot, and at the holidays, there are these two kind of orphans who find each other and find family at the end, and it's in the most unexpected place. But you do kind of come away from it smiling. Yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> a rare ending for a possession film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So can, since we're in the spoiler zone, let me ask about Clara's performance, because I think it is so hard to make a child actor truly menacing. And I think you did it by making it smaller and less, like, I don't know. Can you talk a little bit about how you craft quiet menace from a child that makes her scary standing next to a giant man? It was such a blast to, to do. I mean, this whole movie was so much fun to make, but um, working with Georgia, who plays Clara, uh, Georgia was 14 when we shot this, and it was her first feature, and we we uh, we took the introducing card in the beginning, like it says, introducing Georgia Akin, because we were just like, you're so talented, you're gonna go on to do great things, we wanna claim you as speaking <laughs> here for us. <laughs> And it was just like, she has a background in theater. She's done a lot of like musical theater and plays. And, and I think she's made some short films. Um, so she's certainly used to performing and used to being on set, but, um, but getting to work with her, uh, all the actors, of course, but getting to work with her because it was her first feature and really like discovering the arc with her was a lot of fun. And, um, uh, you know, I do this with all with all of the actors, which is we we have rehearsals where everybody's getting used to each other's energy. We all have our own like 
meetings, our own private meetings, where we're establishing our own private language so that when we're on set, um, you know, I have keywords with each of the actors where it's like, this, this is the arc and these are the keywords defining where we are yeah. on, on that arc. Um, so of course I did that with Georgia as well. And then we would just kind of like review everything before she would do one of her big monologue scenes and, uh, and just look at little moments and then she just go on and, and do it. And she killed it. She's, when I saw her audition, she was already, I don't care about line readings usually in auditions because it's more about the person's yeah. energy. But when I saw her audition, she was already reading the lines like I had always imagined Clara to read them. So like, I, I figured it would only grow from there. Yeah. She's oh, well, un- she's incredible. She's great. Yeah. And that dancing scene is really something else. I was like, move aside, Megan. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, choreographed by my friend, Abby Leith, who's a modern dance choreographer in New York. And, um, and we talked about how, again, like she's a demon, but she's a teenager. So how do we make something really demonic? But it's also like a teen girl rocking out in her bedroom. Yeah. And love it. Yeah. yeah. Abby nailed it. That's awesome. So speaking of young women in film, do you have any advice for young women who want to direct, but maybe feel like it's not an option for them? It totally is an option. It a hundred percent is. First, you have to tell you, admit to yourself that that's what you want to do. And then, um, you know, start learning, start um, making short films, even if it's on your iPhone, start, start uh, making small stuff with your friends. And it's just about like getting used to the language of filmmaking, which is why you can, you know, use your iPhone to design shots and everything. And, and uh, you just have to start getting used to that process. And I mean, there's so many, there's so, depending on where the person's starting, there's so many parts of the journey to discuss. There's like, there's a person that's like, maybe I would like to direct, but I don't know anything about it. So that's kind of what I mean when I'm like, you can start learning using your iPhone, look, look up, read books and look up like different types of shots and start like playing with that on your iPhone. For the person that's like made short films and are, uh, wondering like how to get uh their first feature made there's a whole world of things to talk about there which is you know uh networking going to film festivals and getting your stuff out there and starting to build your um your your contacts but also like your audience um and and so it's really where do we want to be on this? Where do we want to? What do we want to talk about on this uh, very long marathon of a journey when it comes to <laughs> yeah? <laughs> I think just giving hope that yeah, like if you have this dream, you can pursue it is really powerful. So I know we're at the end of our time, and you have other you are important and have a lot of stuff going on. So uh, I just want to take a minute just again to reiterate how much we loved Sacrifice Game. We're so excited for people to get to see it. I think this is going to be like an annual watch for people around the holidays, and it's. Just just exciting to watch your career grow. We cannot wait to see. We saw that there might be something called Rachel coming up, which, first of all, great name. Very excited about um, <laughs> But thank you so much for taking the time to be and, and being so generous with your time today. This yeah, has been you so such much. a dream. Thank you guys so much for having me. This we'll have so you back fun. for Rachel. <laughs> all right. So that was our interview with Jen Wexler. How 
awesome was that? Yeah, she was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was amazing. And like I – this is a thing that always happens. Like I go into these interviews liking a film quite – like in this case quite a bit just on its merits. But then when you get into – all of the thought that went into it and all of the things that the director and the writer are trying to communicate, like it totally enhances it, that experience for me even further. And I end up loving the movie even more. Does that happen to you too? Oh yeah, absolutely. One, just because it adds like layers and depth to the film that you already like, but I also feel like other people's passions I find yeah. very contagious. Yeah. And so once I hear them like really excited about something, I'm like, even I'm even more excited now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and especially because there's like personal aspects to it yeah. like I thought it was really interesting when we were talking about like not autobiographical but like the way that her personal experience is infused into the story and like kind of we talked about like the wish fulfillment aspects of it you know from oh, being yeah. kind of an outcast teen and like telling this story like that personal touch, like you could you watch a movie like this that is a fun popcorn munching kind of holiday horror film, but there is like so much love and thought and like blood, sweat and tears that goes yeah. into a film like this. And you're just like, you know what? That's that's just really cool because every movie is a miracle. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> yeah. getting yeah, it made. No like that's incredible. <laughs> oh, I know. And I loved hearing about how she had originally wanted to make this as her first film. Mm-hmm. And had this idea like all locked in, but then decided to go with the ranger first because she knew she could do that with like a lower budget and fewer yeah. resources. I yeah. think that's so fascinating. Right. I do like I touched on it in the interview, but it's so interesting to think about like there's an alternate universe where she made this one first and it's a totally different film. Oh, yeah. And I loved her talking about the way that like so much about independent film is about timing and choosing like now is the mm -hmm. moment to strike or now is the moment to hold off and do something else. Like all of that kind of stuff is the invisible stuff in filmmaking that as non-filmmakers, you don't know. Yeah, you don't see any of that. But I think she absolutely made the right choice. Yeah. Because I do think yeah. you needed a little bit more to make this film than you did something as kind of DIY as the ranger was. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm glad because I do think that the themes that she gets into this yeah. are so great. Like I love all the shifting power dynamics and the subversion of these ideas of who has the power in a possession film and her exploration of narcissism. <laughs> like, <laughs> all of that's powerful, powerful women of all ages. Um, like, I love all that. And I oh, think I it deserved to have a movie where she felt like really confident to make it. Yeah. So. And I think she was probably able to get bigger stars because mm -hmm. of that, too. And not to say that like smaller stars can't, you know, do amazing things because clearly they can. We love a lot of movies where that's true. Yeah. But I do think that she picked some like really great actors for these different roles. Yeah. Disney Prince. I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good, too. You never would think that he could do both you know yeah, yeah and then of course the mythology that she can't i i oh that she came up with the demon herself that's so cool i totally relate though when she was like uh that felt like it would be bad <laughs> to actually like it would just be playing with fire to pick yeah. a literal demon like i wonder i'm like is ari aster constantly getting chased by paymon <laughs> but no i think that's cool that it's like a blend i was just wondering if maybe it was like a well i guess maybe i shouldn't go into what i think it might be because that might be spoilery but but yeah i love that i and the, i i now i really want to i want to see that necklace i want to see the the, yes. the symbol I know. And I, that's so cool what a cool like 
piece of memorabilia from from like a really cool experience yeah. of making a movie. And I, I just I think you're right about everything being based on her personal life and how cool that is. Like even the Manson family stuff. She said that like mm-hmm. reading Helter Skelter really yeah. influenced her, which is so cool. You know, that book is the reason I can't get my mom to watch horror movies. Really? <laughs> she read it when she was a teenager when it first came out and it freaked her out so oh. much that she hasn't been able to watch any. Wow. You are your dad's child. <laughs> oh, because yeah. you're all about that true 100%. crime. But yeah, that was a great interview. She is amazing. We got to get her back on when Rachel comes out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. All right. Just a quick reminder. If you have made it this far and you haven't watched it yet, it is the Sacrifice Game is going to be on Shutter on December 8th, which is probably either today or tomorrow. So make sure you get it in there and check it out because it is, like I said, the perfect way to kick off spooky Christmas spooky season. <laughs> All right, for those of you at home who have thoughts, feelings, questions, musings, whatever the case may be, you can always drop us a line at rachel at zombiegirls.com. That's uh, rachel at zombiegirlz.com. Or you can come chat with us over on the Zombie Girls Facebook page. Um, and of course, slide into the DMs at, at ZG Podcasts. That's podcasts with an S at the end as in plural because we have many shows on the network on Instagram, Twitter, and threads. Um, and if you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight because you've already done your homework and watched the sacrifice game, then you should check out our video on demand and streaming cal- calendar at zombiegirls.com. If you want to support the show, guess what? There is a plethora of ways that you can do that. You can go onto whatever uh, podcast streaming platform you're listening to this on and rate and review us. Leave us a nice five-star review, make us feel good, and also really help out the show. Um, Or you can buy some of our awesome merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. Or join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls. You'll get bonus episodes. You'll get extended episodes. But best of all, you get to hang out with us on the discord oh yeah oh yeah and like the other day i did a little zombie girls bonus like a zombie bites bonus about things that i'm thankful for in 2023 in the horror world and people seem to like that so i'm going to do some more but yeah so everybody if those are some great great ways to support us and you know let us know that you like what we're doing because we like doing it (laughs) so that just leaves our plan for the next episode ariel what are we doing on the next episode of more deadly and why is it the most exciting thing (laughs) we are going to be reviewing where the devil roams directed Ah! by zelda adams toby poser and john adams of the adams family we love these directors they are amazing filmmakers we love the deeper you dig and hellbender Mm -hmm. if you like those movies too you're gonna really dig this one it is currently available on vod for like four dollars to rent so go support them check it out because we're gonna review it next time yeah we are and you're gonna want to hear it all right ariel on that note take us out (laughs) all right everybody thank you for listening to another episode of more deadly director's cut thank you to jen wexler for giving us her time and talking about her amazing film go check out the sacrifice game and then watch where the devil roams and be back here in about a week all right bye everybody bye everybody Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to my co-host Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly, editing was done by Ariel Messman-Rucker, and our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Newell. <laughs>